Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing, with our Board President, Doug Leeds. Welcome to today's program. Off-Broadway offers a showplace for everything from classical theatre to musicals and dramas, including several Pulitzer Prize-winning plays that had their start off-Broadway. It offers a world of smaller theatres, intimate settings, and culturally diverse materials for theatre-goers. Today we'll meet the artistic directors of several off-Broadway not-for-profit theatres who'll discuss their work, their challenges, and the goals for their theatre companies. And we'll be back later to tell you more about the work of the American Theatre Wing. But right now, please join us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. Off-Broadway is a catch-all phrase that encompasses everything from major institutions to emerging companies. Our guests today represent that range of theaters. Hello, I'm Howard Sherman for the American Theater Wing, and joining us today are Within Doug Abel years, from the Vineyard Theater, Charlotte Moore from the Irish Repertory Theater, really Tim Sanford from Playwrights Horizons, and Jim Simpson from the Flea Theater. Welcome. It's often been said that Off-Broadway is a terrible way to refer to the, this enormous group of theaters because it's about what these theaters aren't. Can you each say something about what you think this community of theaters is? And Doug, I'll start with you. Well, um, I used to love the phrase off-off-Broadway because I thought it was sort of antic and quirky. And I, I, I like to think of uh, many of the smaller developmental theaters in New York as, as theaters that take risks, uh, that are about uh, developing new voices, uh, sometimes uh, wildly and eccentrically producing work that might be a bit messy and ambitious and perhaps not totally finished, and yet we are the people who uh, uh, cast our lot with uh, the young and developing artists of tomorrow. Jim? Yeah, I agree. I, we are off-off-Broadway because of, I think it's a designation by our uh, seating that we're under 99. I, too, love the idea of off-off-Broadway. To me, it means um, it's, it's that other place. It is the sort of uh, place where there are possibilities. It's a place where young people, emerging artists come and work on their thing. It's a place where uh, if you're in the middle of your career, you define yourself a little bit more. And it's also where experienced other people come to do the work that the commercial theater is not really looking for. It's their pet projects or it's their things that they want to take chances without that commercial pressure, really. I think of Off-Broadway as a positive because I think of Broadway as a limitation. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think of Broadway as uh, the epitome, you know, the, the highest chain of the ladder, um, but rather as a place where you're constrained by, you know, marketing requirements to have a kind of least common denominator um, inclusiveness. And I feel like the variety that our community offers is uh, key. But some people have suggested that Off-Broadway, certainly some of the larger Off-Broadway companies, don't have that flexibility anymore. It's not messy as it once was. Tim, do you think that's the case? Uh, no. <clears throat> I mean, if you define, uh, I think of Off-Broadway as a positive because I think of Broadway as a limitation. You know, I don't think of Broadway as uh, the epitome, you know, the, 
the highest chain of the ladder, um, but rather as a place where you're constrained by, you know, marketing requirements to have a kind of least common denominator um, inclusiveness. And I feel like the variety that our community offers is uh, key. Now, I, what you're saying, I think, is the more the bigger your audience is at your particular theater, the more those rules apply to you. You know, when we uh, had a capital campaign, um, we shut down the old Playwrights Horizons in the same location in, in 2001, and then were dark for a while. But we uh, consciously decided not to increase the uh, seat size that much. We went from 141 to within the same actor contract to 198, explicitly so that it wouldn't affect the variety we can do. The play we're currently running right now has no stars, you know, is not a known writer, and we can get away with it. Uh, although you do see that not as many people flock to it as when we did a show with Sigourney Weaver, for example. Um, so I, I do think there's some limitations, but um, hopefully not for our theaters at this table. I'm not sure how limited we are. I'm scared to death all the time. I, I feel that I have limitations. I feel that I have to have to do it every time. I don't do it every time, but I feel that I feel that stress and I feel that pull that I have to do it every time because I mean if we fail in one, if we fail in one production and we and we don't sell out or we don't sell enough tickets to cover our production expenses, we're in trouble. Every time. So I don't mind it though. I don't mind it. I don't want to be, honestly don't. I don't want to be given $5 million and say, here, go and do that. I don't want to, I wouldn't know how to do that. I look at those, I look at those theaters who do that and I think, oh my God, I'd be scared to death spending that much money on, on a production. So, you know, we, I clean the bathrooms. Not so I don't have to pay somebody to do it. Put that into a production and I like it like that. I think we're, I, I do think we're in a unique position being in New York. Uh, smaller alternative theaters in New York City do have to play by a lot of the quote-unquote commercial rules. I mean, let's face it, we are, we are in a marketplace uh, where the press means a lot and, um, you know, we, we, we feel those pressures and our artists feel those pressures that, you know, perhaps uh, may not be the case uh, um, in another in another city, and so I think it's a, I think it's a, uh, it's all tugging at us at, at all the time, and we have to really fight to protect our independence. Another and city? No, yes. you wouldn't in another city. No, it's this one, where it's so where it's so hard and, and so and so rewarding. I mean, well, this because is it. there's so many artists here, mm -hmm. the confluence of all the different interests and different ambitions and uh, talent that actually makes living in New York such a privilege and really exciting and challenging, like you say. But Every it's, time. <laughs> it's also part of our culture. I mean, I think in other cities, except for a few, the theater going is not part of the cultural identity of the city as much as it is here. It sure is. So that's really an advantage for us at, at times, although you know, these, the pressures and the advantages uh, work with each other and against each other. Do you think audiences make distinctions when they come to shows, whether it's a commercial production on Broadway, whether it's something down at the Flea? Do you think that's the case? I don't think they do anymore. People come to uh, Production New York, generally speaking, um, you know, expecting to be 
entertained and challenged and excited. And if they're not happy, they'll let you know it. Um, and uh, you know, I guess there is a, there is a different perception of going you know out on a night of the town to a Broadway show, but. Um, I think it's a very discerning audience in New York with very, very high standards. They sure tell you. Absolutely. I, mean, I think they do distinguish slightly. I mean, at least part of one of the things that we do at the Flea is uh, a lot of work with a young company, and I think they do view them uh, specifically for what they do, and uh, I think root for them in a way that if they were in a more commercial environment, they might be tougher. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there is that mm -hmm. give, I think, at least in, in some of our programming. Do you ever want the audience to cut you a break and say, we're not this, this is just what we are, look at us at this level? No. Oh, I try, I try to get my job with the uh, young company in particular is to get them to uh, the highest level possible mm -hmm. in New York, which is a really high mm -hmm. standard. And that's the challenge, and that's what makes it really exciting. They respond to it. I don't want, I really don't want the audience to look at them as handicapped in any way. I think it's a perception of their age that I think that they just root for them and they're willing to give them uh, a little leeway in that sense. That's natural with young people, I think. I Remember that, that, uh, that show you did about the firemen? Sure. With, uh, I mean, a at the same time we were doing something similar, mm -hmm. and I, j I felt, I felt the level of that, and the level of I just felt I was thrilled and crying and saw it four times, and you know, I, I just thought it was wonderful. I mean, that could have been amateurish, that well, piece of theater, but it wasn't. No, well, thank you. You did it. And interestingly enough, there were young members of the company that were under thirty, that were understudying that, and mm -hmm. they went on. Uh, one of the young actors went on with Susan Sarandon. The uh -huh. young woman went on, uh, not with Bill Murray, but she went on with Bill Irwin. And so they, in that sense, we were really bridging that difference between the two companies. But thank you. That's thank you. Good. How much do you all have the opportunity to see the work of your peers? To me, it's a, it's a handicap of the job. I mean, if I spend uh, 10 hours at, at a theater working during the day, the last thing I want to do, having a family as well, is to go out and see theater. This year, I've really made an effort to go and see more, and it's been very rewarding for me, just artistically, just to see what the, what's out there. And the work is of such a high standard, actually, that uh, I go back kind of going like that, saying, yikes, we really have to get it up there. I try to catch as much uh, young theater that's happening. By that I mean there's so many exciting new groups uh, that are sprouting all over the city. I mean, I really think it's a, a fertile and a, it's a wonderful significant time. period uh, yeah. artistically for acting and writing in, in, in this town. So I try when I have a night, I mean, I try to see as much as I can, but I... That's I, the same with me. I mean, the community of, of writers that, because we're a writer's theater, that we have our eyes on, and you, if you know the writer, like, Julia Cho, we did a play of hers, so I gotta get there. You know, you're doing a play of Adam Raps. We did that. I, I, and that leaves me with little time to see some of my favorite authors like Shaw and Wilde right. that you you are able to do. But I, you know, I I think it's important to stay plugged into the to the yes, community. Especially, I mean, I, I also I have this parallel career in the film world as a casting director, so I really have to, you know see as much as I can and it's always it always amazes me sometimes I'll catch you know a, a very unknown little show with some young actors and and you discover somebody very special mm. unrepresented you know who's um, 
um, just putting themselves out there. And, and How much do you think about what other companies are doing, or do you find yourself competing with, with peers for the same pieces? At the fleet, we try not to program much more than three months in advance, always planning things, but never really, really trying to do a brinksmanship and settling in on a production as late as possible. It drives my staff crazy. We try to program in advance, but I have to say, oftentimes, the shows that come together, you know, at the last moment are often the most Absolutely. exhilarating yeah. ones. They, yeah. Because there's a sense of that spontaneous combustion. And if you can get happens. such good people who aren't doing anything in that slot it's by, you know, just chance, it really is Timing, wonderful. exactly. Rewarding. No, and that's, that's the interesting thing. If you have a wonderful play yes. and you say, we really want this person, and you try to schedule it eight months in advance, more, than, more likely than not, you're going to lose that wonderful yeah. person to uh, the business, and you're going to be heartbroken. But if you're rolling the dice at the last minute, often you can get a very happy Well, surprise. you're talking about casting. Yeah. And production and as well, though. Yeah. It's I mean, th I think you're raising an interesting question, which has to do our, uh, the various relationships we have to subscription uh, audiences. And I'm, it sounds to me like you two are less dependent. On. Oh, well, I love a subscription. I'd take it every time. But we stopped having them. And, 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 and we have instead memberships. And I'll tell you why. Because if you have a subscription, you have to close. Because you owe that, those uh -huh. subscribers uh -huh. five, four or five shows a year. So you have to close one. If you're selling out, if you're making them your money back, you still have to close because you owe those subscribers. So now we don't. We have membership, and uh, we still give them their number of shows, but it doesn't have to be in a year. Huh, how interesting. Because hmm. we have membership, and we don't give them anything except let them know what's going <laughs> on. But it's really cheap. But uh, no, subscribers, again, if we have a hit, it's in our interest to, to keep it, it going. Yes. We're a tiny theater, and there's so many million people in New York. So it's a chance. It's always a frustration. We have a show going on right now. Uh, Julia Cho's play, The Piano Teacher, which is selling out every night, and we have another show coming in. So yeah. we, yeah. we have to close. And on the other hand, I mean, I'm, I've grown to embrace the subscription model. I don't necessarily think it's an uh, age-specific interest. I think it's possibly a class-specific interest. Mm -hmm. uh, the ability to do that, because. Um, I do think the the single ticket model makes you review dependent, and mm -hmm. I I've my observation is that for new writers that's not necessarily the the zeal of our current crop of of reviewers. So I I'm trying to get <laughs> and, <coughs> I'm trying to get cultivate an audience with an appetite for for adventure. And my my favorite and thankfully frequent comment. I get from subscribers or patient, uh, patrons is, well, gosh, you know, if I just read the description of this play, I never would have come. <laughs> but I'm so glad I came right. to it, which is, uh, you know, it's really hard to market shows that are adventurous and off the beaten path in some way. Um, so I, I found our subscription numbers creeping up without. Yes. Uh, that review dependency, and then you know the downside is if you do have to close a show. Um, but the upside is you can do six plays a year. Right. Mm -hmm. We try to walk a middle ground, actually, similarly, of developing a strong subscription base, but uh, 
not subscribing out the entire company in the way that maybe some larger institutions, it's to their benefit to do, so that there's hopefully a healthy mix of about a, a half of an audience might be subscribers and another half will be single ticket buyers, which, which can be exciting too, because then you have uh, people who are there to see that particular event and have a have an investment in it, and and also people who believe or support the company. So I think it's I will a, say it's nice mix. to see those people show up, those subscribers. Yes, they yes. both show up and fill your theater, which is always nice. Yes, and you know it's it's uh, it's very easy to 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 bash the concept of subscription theater, but I think it is. I agree with you. I think it's very important, and um, you know I think if you can. Uh, uh, find ways to make it innovative. We do both memberships and subscriptions, and you know we also, have for years, have done what we call an artist under thirty pass, where we come up with really inexpensive tickets for That's theater an people and, point. and young How people. How many tickets do you all give away? We probably give away between um, twenty and forty percent of a given production. Mm -hmm. Because I'm often in the box office or cleaning the bathrooms, and I, somebody comes, I'm a student, have what's the lowest uh, price I can get? I say, can you afford anything? Well, you know, not, not really. Go in. Yeah. You know, go in. I'm sure everybody does that. I mean, what, what a way to get young people in there who don't have any money, but we'll have one of these days. Sure, sure. And part of it is, uh, you know, we were talking about the review thing. What I found is if I can keep a show going, after the point of five weeks, between five and eight weeks is the word mm -hmm. of mouth mm -hmm. thing, and it also is the point where actually the cast is mastering the material, mm -hmm. and that's when the acting really gets good and they get solid. So if I can keep it floating it to that point, we believe in it enough, um, that's when it might happen, but it's a long time, and we don't do really any marketing whatsoever. We can't afford it. So it is giving tickets away and trying to build word of mouth that way. Mm -hmm. How how many takers do you have for your young per, your thirty and under? Um, it, it's a, I don't know the exact figure, but it's 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 better than you think. A lot of it is just getting the word out there. It's People hard. People are always surprised. And oftentimes our oftentimes our subscribers will buy them as like presents for their kids, yeah. and, yeah. which is great. I think getting the word yeah. out is the hardest thing to do yeah. because yeah. you don't want to spend money marketing it. Right. You know. Can't. Right, and so and now I think more people are going to websites, and it's on the website. Maybe it'll pick up. Yes, exactly. Do you communicate with other artistic directors? Do you look for help, compare notes, see what's going on, or are you primarily focused on what's happening in your theaters? Well, actually, a group, a couple of us, got together a few months ago informally, um, uh, who had sort of the middle—I don't know what the term would be—middle-sized theater, and we just. Chatted, and what 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 I find when artistic directors get together, you know, you, whatever the subject may be, it ultimately you begin then talking about the drama critics and how tough it all is. So we try to take that off the table, just so that we can uh, discuss other things. But we all are kind of aware of what we're doing, and I, I think generally speaking, I know that I, you know, will pick up the phone and call another artistic director if I'm interested in a theater artist that they've worked with, or. You know, just want to get their opinion. That's about the something. most frequent reason for mm -hmm. us to call each other. I think when I think back on reasons I've, oh, I mean, I employed you recently, but other <laughs> times, uh, wearing this hat, that's usually what it's about. One thing I do, I, I try to do sometimes, if it, there's another artistic director that I, I'm friendly with, and maybe there's a play that I saw that I liked, and I, I read a terrible review, and I always call them because you know, when you get a bad review, people tend not to call you. So I I, I try to you know, <laughs> think, 
you know, think about that, and, and uh, I think it's meaningful to people uh -huh. to, to uh, uh, touch Especially base. if you've taken a chance, if they've taken a chance and yeah, done a new play or a new guy or a new something, and then they get slaughtered and kind of condescended to, I just, I, I want to kill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing up into it, and it's taken me a long time to try to get away from the arrogance of independence, where you look at yourself in opposition to the other companies, mm -hmm. and you try to create your thing in a conversation where you're trying to keep your work specific and different. And actually, when there's more similarities, the struggle that we're all involved in is actually a collective struggle that we're all involved in. And Indeed. it's taken me a long time yeah. to finally get to that point. Jim, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but I seem to recall that when you started The Flea, you made some comments about, I think a theater has a natural 10-year lifespan. Well, I probably said five years. Okay, so we're 10 <laughs> years in. Oh, no, I originally started it as a five-year effort. Well, five years, it happened to come around 9-11, uh, and I had three shows in rep, and our theater was shut down. And I had six more oh, months on that that's lease. That's right, I remember that. And I thought, we're done. We're at war, roughly. We're small potatoes. I think this is natural. Goodbye. And then the young people in the company said, no, you've got to fight back with our art and all that stuff. And then through that, met Ann Nelson, and then we did the play The Guys. And for me, it was a, a, it was just, gee, a theater actually can do something more than just pursue our artistic mm -hmm. stuff. And for me, it was a, you know, it was, you hope for these things as you get to be an adult where someone knocks on your head and says, well, maybe the stuff you studied as a kid might actually be true, and you might discover it later in your career rather than just carrying these impulses from your youth. And it happened, actually. And so that's when, at that point, we began to fundraise. At that point, I got a board. At that point, Carol Ostrow uh, joined me as a producing director, and we began saying, okay, it's not just an artist-run thing. We're actually going to try to work toward more institutional values. And it's been fascinating, but not planned. So for the other artistic directors, how have your companies matured? You weren't all there at the very beginning of these companies. Doug, you were pretty close. Close. Yeah. So have your companies had to change? Have you wanted to change? Do you even have the freedom now to grow them in new directions? Well, in my case, I, I, you know, when I first came to New York as a young, fledgling director right out of college, I, I think I did what everyone else did. I, I, uh, volunteered and became an intern at various theaters and just tried to get my foot in the door. I actually was an intern at Playwrights Horizons, Circle Rep, a bunch of the different theaters. And it, it gave me an opportunity, and then I, for a while I worked at Manhattan Theater Club, and then uh, uh, met a lady named Barbara Krieger who had started this tiny little uh, uh, company called The Vineyard uh, on East 26th Street and I began reading scripts for her. And Within two to three years, I, you know, I was a 25, 26-year-old person with the title of artistic director, which was exciting and, and scary to me. But I, I, think, I think for me, um, as a kid growing up around New York and, and as a teenager seeing um, plays at theaters like Circle Rep, uh, the glory days of the public, the WPA, which is another much lamented uh, theater company in my opinion, you know, I, I I think what was always impressed upon me was the, the, the theater that I connected to um, were theaters that had a personal touch and, and took chances on new emerging writers. And some of the theater companies that I uh, got involved with, you know, uh, which were more institutionalized, for want of a better word, and larger, sometimes I felt like that connection between the artistic administration and the artists and the audience was a little bit lost. So it was always my dream, no matter where this theater would go, 
uh, that would remain fairly small and manageable. And while we've expanded, we that, that given this beautiful new space on uh, Union Square, and we've, you know, our budget went from you know a dollar ninety nine for a year to to about two million a year. We've we've tried to uh, maintain that intimacy, and it's it's uh, no matter what we do, whether we expand our staff, whether we you know we're looking for a second theater, um, we hope always to to. Uh, remain a place that's very connected to the work and that everyone who works at the company has a connection. I mean, we, when we have a show in previews, I talk to the box office staff and ask their opinion about it. And anyone who works at my company um, has a right to express their opinion. And you know, I, it, it, I think it, uh, it keeps us young and it keeps it vibrant and um, um, it keeps it honest, too. That's important. I mean, I feel that, that I've said um, before because when you do new work and new writers that every play is its own thing. It's its own organism depending on the voice and the vision of that writer. And I, I feel like our, you know, you want to change and grow, you know, s s being static is uh, dangerous to artistic uh, health. And yet I feel that if you're doing new work, you, I have the phrase, you've institutionalized newness. Because if you're really responsive to the, every person who comes in, they have something to teach you, and hopefully a little vice versa. Very often when companies move into a new theater, they find things they didn't expect, and you alluded to earlier to the new, relatively new theater for Playwrights Horizons. Are there things that had to change because you, you of that? You know, building? I underestimated what that 40% more seats even would actually, the pressures it would cause. The new, um, you know, when you fill up, you, you talked about a theater filling up from subscription. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the case in the old theater. Not full, but much Guaranteed. more than half, you know? And when you expand by 40%, that same base stuck in a the theater suddenly looks much sparser. And a lot of the um, motivation, or some of the motivation for subscription, for example, is price break. Mm -hmm. And if the, if the audience is aware, well, I'm going to get a flyer, and it's going to be the same price, and average, you know, you start competing against yourself. Mm -hmm. And you start thinking, well, gosh, I've got to fill those extra seats <laughs> somehow. And start, so you start thinking about casting and the, the notoriety or the, of your writer or whatever. And um, there are pressures, even with small growth. And Charlotte, of course, the Irish Rep happily just purchased its building. We, at we long purchased last. it for. I'll tell you, our rent was, I think, eighty-six hundred dollars a month, and they raised it to thirty-six thousand yeah. dollars mm -hmm. a month. Mm -hmm. So we had to buy it or stop. Mm -hmm. So we we desperately set out begging for money, and uh, and we got it. I mean, we got one point eight million. I think we still owe that, but we're paying it off in increments. Uh, that's why we can't fail, because if we miss one, we're in trouble. Hmm. And so we have to just. I mean, I mean, I'd love to say, oh, I think I'll take a couple of weeks off and go to somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> can't. But now, Irish rep. 
that is your space. There, you're not well, looking for alternatives. You're well, you're there. yes, yes. We're, we're we're looking to make it a better space, and uh, we the people have been have generously begun to give us the money to make it a better space. And I don't think we'll ever stop doing that. When we started, Kieran O'Reilly and I met, and uh, Brian Murray actually introduced us in in an Irish play, and uh, and uh, I broke some bones falling down, and we found ourselves uh, we found ourselves both not working. And Kieran said, "Why don't we do a, a play? We'll do an Irish play." And for my sins, I did the Plough and the Stars with sixteen Irish people who hated me because I didn't know anything about them. But I, by God, I know about them now. I've done forty-five of them now in twenty years. So, so they're a little afraid of me now, which I like. <laughs> Often, when we talk to artistic directors, we're talking to people who are themselves directors. It's interesting on this panel, we have two artistic directors who we don't see with directing credits at their theaters. Um, Charlotte, you were an actress and known as an actress primarily prior to. And your I sure do miss it. Doug, are you <laughs> casting? <laughs> do you, but you could cast yourself. No, I can't. I can't. I, I did, did, I it did once. cast you in one. Um, and yes, you did. But it was a a film we'd rather forget. I did one. I did one for Tony Walton. I did Major Barbara. And every time a radiator would go up, my focus would stop. If the door closed in the back, well, who's that coming in? And um, so I, I decided not to do it anymore there. But certainly artistic directors who are directors often program based on this is something I'd like to direct. Is that the case for you, Jim, at the Flea? How much is it a director's theater? How much is it an actor's theater or a playwright's theater? We're multidisciplinary. I mean, we do music, we do dance. Last week we had two, two music concerts. We featured four choreographers. We're, I'm slowly but surely getting it not to just my vehicle, but to uh, actually being more of a um, benefit to the cultural life of New York with what a small theater can do. And multidisciplinary because I think at the level, I originally did it for the young company because the young dancers came in and they were so good and so inspiring and their technique was at such a high level that I wanted the young actors to see, don't kid around. This is really their state of the art. They're also not getting paid and they're killing it. <laughs> so I brought them in just to do that sort of rub off effect. It's really interesting at the Flea because we're getting cross-currents and, and other productions are happening out, out of this cross-current. Me, I think I direct as much as the first five years. I was there 14 hours a day, seven days a week. I was directing pretty much everything. Um, now I'll end up doing pretty much what I want. I think I can do three to five shows a year if I'd like. Some years I was away doing a movie and didn't do any but a show that I, I had directed was running. Um, I worked that out with Carol, and I'm more interested in this, at this point in getting other people in. My next big thing is actually how to get young directors in, uh, in my theater and working. Started with Adam, where he actually feels at home there, likes the situation, and is gonna continue. But that's the, and directors, I'm super critical about directors, so that's the hardest thing for me to, uh, to get over. But I direct as much as I want there. But I love, actually, I just worked at uh, Uptown at uh, Playwrights, and it was delightful because I didn't have to worry about the door. I didn't have to worry about whether we're selling tickets or not. I was there basically to work for you, to work for my playwright and my cast, which uh, is a, 
a lot off my shoulders, actually, and really a pleasure because I just get to deal with my technique as a director, which is really fun. So as producers, Tim, you come out of a literary background primarily. What do yeah, you? Yeah, when I moved to New York, I was an aspiring director and got the internship and then the job at Pirates Horizons, and I just found it is so competitive and difficult for young directors. If you think about that versus an actor, it's like yeah, it's really tough. There's one director when there are many cast members, and and. I was struggling to find opportunities. I scraped together money to do my own thing, and then I just realized three or four years into working at Playwrights Horizons that some of those skills of insight into a play were relevant to the play reading process, and just the caliber of work we were doing there at that theater was so much beyond what I was able to scrape together um, that I kind of let it go, you know. And it's not a and then it's and it wouldn't be appropriate at Playwrights Horizons either. It's a, the first thing I say to a writer when I say I want to do your show is who who do you dream of directing with or working with? <laughs> no one's going to say me, you know. So uh, you just you you we're there to serve you know that vision and make the play as good as it can possibly be. Doug, well, it's when I when I first came to New York, I. I uh, was an ambitious young director, and I got a lot of opportunities and was doing very well on Ensemble Studio Theater. Uh, when I began working with the Vineyard, I directed a lot, and uh, I was good, I think. Um, but uh, I actually began to discover that, for, for me personally, my, my great thrill was bringing the whole project together, shaping it and tweaking it. And my least favorite, favorite part of the process, even though I could do it well, was you know sitting in a room for eight hours with three actors trying to crack a problem that no one could solve. My God, I sit and, in rehearsal sometimes, and, and they're and, like working and, on a block. And many of my, my, uh, <laughs> the, my, my friends who are directors of my generation, uh, Mark Brokaw, Tina Lando, Michael Mayer, I, I would observe that they loved that part of the process. Mm -hmm. That was what they loved to do and were really good at it. And I thought, well, you know, um, this is a sign for me. And um, um, I had the great fortune through the years of finding several directors I would work with a lot. Uh, the late Andrea Knott was a director who worked a lot at my company who I just loved. And we really, I'm an activist artistic director, I mean, truly so. And I, I, I found a great creative outlet for interacting with the director and playwright. I, we don't have a dramaturg at my theater. We're, I'm, I'm very hands-on in that regard. And, um, and then the other thing that began to happen was I started to be asked to cast movies for reasons which are not clear to me. But you know, <laughs> I, I went with that, and I was good at it, and suddenly found that I had to um, run a theater company and uh, work on films, and something had to give. And I, I'm, I just made a decision uh, that a freelance theater directing career uh, was not something I pursue, at least for the time being. And I may come back to it at some point in my ripe old age. We'll see. You, you don't have a dramaturg. Who reads the well, 700 I, I scripts you've Well, I have a mind. wonderful associate artistic director, Sarah Stern. And uh, oh, she yes, reads scripts, and good. I read scripts. And um, I, I, I'm not trying to make an anti-dramaturgy statement. Mm -hmm. I just I, I feel strongly that um, I, I like to have a direct line with the director and the playwright. Um, and I, I'm, I'm maybe not a fan of, of uh, farming that out to too many right. people because I think there's a tendency for um, often in the nonprofit theater a little too much well-meaning, earnest tweaking by a lot of parties and on, on a play. And, and uh, I, I like to really uh, create an environment where um, the writer gets to do the work that they have to do and want to do. I don't mean in um, that sense of yes. tweaking, though. 
I mean, just who reads all those scripts? Yes. You well, do? Well, we, we, uh, we try not to push unsolicited manuscripts as, as we used to do, because it's, it's, it's really painful to sit there and face thousands of copies of scripts, although they get sent anyway. <coughs> so we generally ask people first to send uh, you know, a description of the material and a writing sample. But at our company, it's a, it's a little different, because much of what we do are things that are developed from you know, a germ of an idea, and then we put a writer and a director or a composer on a project, and we, we develop it. So um, it's, it's more often than not, that's how something comes to light. And, and oftentimes, uh, uh, an actor that I know lets me know quietly or not so quietly that they're a playwright, and I say, OK, show me your play. And sometimes that work is very good. So um, it, it comes a little bit more, I think, out of our community. And uh, I don't know what, you know, I don't know how to uh, uh, characterize specifically a vineyard artist, but in a sense, certain people gravitate toward us, we gravitate towards them, and, and we begin working with them. Charlotte, how much is your theater an expression of you artistically, or how much of it is you serving the material you've, you've chosen to explore? Well, I think it's both. Uh, for so long, <clears throat> there wasn't anyone else who directed. And so it, it was all, it was a lot of me, a lot. Um, <clears throat> recently, uh, Enda Walsh has directed a play, an Irish play of his, which I enjoyed very much, Bedbound. Um, Kieran O'Reilly has begun to direct now, and to my horror, he's terrific. <laughs> I mean, he's just wonderful, uh, especially directing Irish work, which nobody else, I mean, really, really has, has that uh, in his head like he does. But I think it's an, an expression of the two of us big time, because we chose it all. We did, we did everything. And so it, of necessity, we, it, it became an expression of the two of us, I think. We had no choice. How much was your impulse to start the company out of feeling some sense of the limitations of being an actor or being a female actor? I or didn't have the sense to have any limitations. I really didn't. I had the ego to think, oh, direct a play, sure, I'll do that. Oh, I'm <laughs> terrified now when I do it. Terrified then, I thought, oh, well, you know, nothing to it. Wrong. <laughs> but I've learned a lesson. Is there anything you would like to do at your theaters that for some reason you feel you can't do? Yeah, let me start. I'd like to do all of those expensive Irish plays that are done on Broadway. I'd like to do Connor McPherson and Martin McDonough and those. But I can't do them because I have 140 seats and Broadway has 1,000. Hmm. So, you know, so they're not the, fools. The agents and the writers that are keeping that work from you? No, it's the playwrights. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them. I mean, they—you know—they—they they have rent to pay as well. Sure. We had in the early days of our company when we were more of a showcase theater. We had almost no limits to what we could do because nothing cost very much. Um, it, it, I noticed this year the City Center Encores is doing a musical called Juno that we actually did a huge production of in '92, a, a, a Mark Blitzstein musical I saw it. that had 16 people in it because we were on a, a, a much more modest uh, budget uh, production code at the time. We could never take on a project of that size now without, you know, considerable uh, uh, financial enhancement from some source. And so I, I just miss, in a sense, I miss the days of being able to say. Sure, I can, I can do a 35-character play with a, a band, you know, <laughs> no problem. Um, we, we, 
try not to uh, limit ourselves in terms of programming, and, uh, but but you know it's it's an issue now. Well, you're a theater that does musicals. I mean, almost as much as we do. I mean, it's yes, part of our mission statement. And we're to the theaters that have a real commitment to that, and that has become more and more difficult. It, it is. We well, for many years we we were um, being an off of Broadway theater. We weren't. Subject to the musicians' union in any way. It, it just there are a lot of factors now that. Why has that become more difficult? Uh, I we we weren't depend. I mean, I think we had uh, independent grants. There used to be such a thing as an NEA mm -hmm. that yes. that. Uh, there was both a theater and an opera musical theater uh, department, and we exactly. were able to get from both because oh. if you do one oh. musical a year, you get, you and uh, we had the Lyle Atchison Wallace Reader's Digest Fund, which was a heft that was we were able to what use that to, to subsidize those, those uh, monies. Well, what we all know what happened in the NEA, Nothing. and then but a uh, lot of things. There was a there was a, a national alliance for music yeah. theater. Uh, I, I think. Oddly enough, I think there's more money these days in, in terms of funding new opera. Um, I, I'm, I'm always uh, uh, heartened and somewhat jealous when I find out about a, you know, a multi-million dollar uh, American opera premiering at a, at a big opera company regionally. And, and um, I, I, um, I, I, maybe we just don't have lobbyists you know, in, the, in the funding community to really make the case powerfully for the need for substantial funding for musical theater. Yeah. So, so what then happens, unless a, a show is very small um, in size, is um, you're often required to um, uh, find alternative ways to, to fund a large-scale musical, whether it's you know, a commercial producer getting involved with your company or co-production. Uh, but uh, the days of being able to take on um, a large-scale music theater work, I, I think, or at least for us, are pretty much. I, I found that I have done those uh, arrangements with commercial producers before, and if there's a like-minded agreement that starts early enough, and there can be uh, cooperation that's mutually beneficial. But if there's a piece that you are excited by and want to start making commitment to, I found to find a partner. Uh, if you, if they get a sign that you're already committed to it, it's like, well, what's in it for me? I'll wait for reviews. And, right. Yeah. You know, so a piece like Grey Gardens that we did without a commercial producer attached, um, it almost killed us to do it. Mm -hmm. It just was a. It was we did two seasons. One was getting Grey Gardens on somehow, and it required as much effort as producing the whole rest of the season. You tack them up, so when you go, the world will be. A birdcage I plan to hang, I'll get to that someday. A birdcage for a bird who flew away. It's a, it's a question worth addressing. You know? Yeah, and it, I mean, it takes a lot of bravery and moxie and... I, 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 
what, the way I view it too, and it's not just musicals, I feel like every few years there's a large scale work that I know is not commercial, I know that I have to do. <laughs> and I jump in and I do it, and in a sense it's like, it's like uh, overspending on your credit card, and then for the next four years <laughs> you're, you're paying the price <laughs> for it. But yeah. um, I, I, I think you have to kind of challenge yourself to do it as, as you did. And, um, but um, many years ago, I, I, I would have been much more suspicious of commercial producers interacting with theater, but I, I too have had good experiences. Um, two recent musicals we did, Avenue Q and Title of Show, we had very good commercial producers who were smart and supportive, let us do our work, um, and then we're there for the show, you know, which I think is, is, is very important because it is also very difficult if you have something that you want to have, have a future life, um, you then have to go out and find a partner, which mm -hmm. is difficult. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. If we're gay, I'd shout, hooray! I am not as dear, I'd stay, but I wouldn't get in her way. Ah! You can count on me to always be beside you every day to tell you it's okay. You were just born that day, and as they say, it's in your DNA, you're gay. If you were gay, the theme of money is running through this, and you all have the title of artistic director, but how much of your job is purely artistic, and how much do you actually have to get involved in the financial issues and the fundraising for your company? Totally. A lot well, of rubber else is going to do it? Down. So it's completely mixed. You, I mean, it's not a, it's we not have a distinction. We, I mean, mm -hmm. I assume we all have partners who are busy, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to do this show, go, go get me the money. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, and the fundraising is, I'm writing those letters and, you know, pitching. I, I don't think you should, we can have any sense of entitlement that, oh, we're doing a play, so, you know, the world owes us to do it. You've got to make the case for it if it's a nonprofit. And you have a challenge because you're in a, in a city with a lot of arts organizations, mm -hmm. you know, and that, 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 again, is where one is envious of a... A, a theater in a city that doesn't have a lot of theater companies, and so all of the local corporation foundations yeah. uh, uh, have a desire to adopt this organization as their own. Well, right. you know, um, this is New York, and it's a different situation, so it, it, it takes uh, a lot of effort. I'm guessing it's not necessarily your favorite part of what you do, so I want to ask you all, can you each tell me a moment where you truly were just pleased with what you were able to do in your roles at these theaters? What was just that time where you said, God, I'm really proud of this? <laughs> I, I guess for me, I mean, maybe it's not one moment, but I, I've had this wonderful opportunity with my company, uh, not just to work with artists that I love and projects that I love, but sometimes just to explore issues uh, that are important to me. And, and the ability to just say, I want to do this play because it will nourish me, and this experience will nourish me. Uh, right before 9-11, um, I had an opportunity to develop a theater piece based on um, the words and music of the songwriter Laura Nero, who had been my hero, or my heroine as a child growing up. She was the great American songwriter, and somehow I managed to connect with a group of artists, and we were given the rights shortly after her death to develop this piece, and it was very successful. Uh, I got to know her family really well, and you know her father, who's no longer with us, uh, was a bit suspicious of, of the work and then fell in line and saw the play every night for the four-month run. And uh, I just remember thinking, you know, 
would I have ever dreamed when I was 12 years old listening to this lady's music that one day, you know, I would have this opportunity to, to sort of live inside um, mm -hmm. her work and her world and her, her, her peer group and her family. And I, 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 it was incredible for me. Jim? I would say that it, uh, I have a, she's 17 now, I have a daughter that's 17. And I guess nine years ago, I did one of my favorite things, which is a kabuki play called Benten Kozo. And uh, I secretly directed it. Everyone thought it was avant-garde. I secretly directed it for the sensibility of an eight-year-old, a New Yorker, an eight-year-old New Yorker. And uh, just to delight someone in the idea that theater can be so exciting, so violent, so romantic, and so colorful, um, with all the kabuki stuff that I'd trained with and, and knew, trying to do a new sensibility but to actually light that fire for my daughter was uh, was really fun, and that no one, now you know, but uh, no one knew, and so it was a little gift that I was able to do for her. So that I was very proud of. I think it's a combination of um, you think about the artistic moments, the high points like Floyd Collins and Betty Summer Vacation for me, and Small Tragedy, mm. Great Gardens, just to make it happen. But I also think of things like opening a new theater and like sitting in the new theater and saying my god this actually happened you know yeah. five, five or six years ago my board my incredible board said let's make a what would be let's make a five-year plan to dream and then it happened you know so uh, you think of you think of a hundred thousand dollar grant that comes in that you've worked for and written and really made your case and it lands and you think, wow, that was, that was something, you know? Mm. So, you know, it's a combination of things, the artistic and then the, the health of the infrastructure all together. Sitting up in those lawyers' offices with my partner, Kieran O'Reilly, signing those papers. For the purchase of the uh -huh. theater. Mm -hmm. I'll bet. No, mm -hmm. congratulations. That was, that was good. That was a good day. We had lunch after that. <laughs> we could afford lunch. Yeah. So for moments of pride, I want to ask, we often hear artists say they need a freedom to fail. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is still that freedom in your theaters? It, there has to be that, or it's, don't do it. There has to be that. You can't just go for the money all the time. You can't. I don't know what that <laughs> means, fail. I don't either. What do they mean when they say freedom to fail? Doug, what do you think they mean? I don't know, because I, you know, I, I also have to say that for me, my, if you were to really ask me what my favorite experiences in my own theater would be, I, as much as I loved working on How I Learned to Drive and Three Tall Women and so many of these great shows, I would probably mention one or two projects which were uh, uh, somewhat orphaned, let's say, not, not as praised in, in the press, but me which too. I adored me and, too. and I, I, you know, nourished me. So I, I, I I don't really buy into that, and I think one of the things that I admire about uh, so many of the theater companies in New York, like Playwrights and, and all of our theaters, is that um, we're in it for the long haul with artists. You know, I, I, th I think there's too much focus on short attention span and let's find the next hot thing, and I, I respect theaters when they are committed to a talented artist at whatever point they are in their life. So if, if they take a chance on a play that doesn't quite work, that artist knows that they can come back to this theater again and they will be produced. 
Um, I'm, so I, I think that's I think very, the only very failure is if you if the writer afterwards does not feel like their vision was actually fulfilled. Yeah. That's the and when you know it yourself that you didn't qu quite get it. You might have you know? there might have been a mistake in the production either in staging or casting or design. Yeah, and that know, happens occasionally. That where, happens where a, 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 a Oh, sure. the, the vision yeah, of the yeah. play, right, is not quite served, and you both know it. And I think that's always a disappointment. There's sadness in that because um, that was something that you, you know, you were part of. Is it a challenge sometimes to lure artists to work at your theaters? And are there things you have to do to get the people <laughs> that you want? Yes, I mean it's not much money. It's, I don't know. I even know how much it is, but it's a tiny amount, and it's the, it's the play. It's the work. They, that's what they, I mean, that's the lure. They want to do that play. Yeah, they, every they, play. Some of them you might know who's going to do it or something, but a lot of times, like, you dig a ditch and then you jump and you hope that there's water <laughs> in there before you hit the bottom. Yeah, it's e every single one is tough. Every single one. Yes. But, um, and again, it is the material that, yes, I think, that, uh, that draws them in. And if, if it's a return customer, like an actor coming back, uh -huh. I think they realize or get the idea that you're offering them a unique opportunity. Your, your institution is unique and it's different than just a regular job job. And if the material comes in, then, you know, then it's good. But that takes a while to build. Yes, but, it does. You know. Are there things you'd like to do at your companies that you haven't had the opportunity to do yet? I want to do every play Yates ever, every play Yates ever wrote. I want that. I want the money to do that. I'm going to get it too. We're looking to create a a small, again, a very small, as you said, scrappy little theater institution downtown, and that's the next thing that I'm working toward is to make it more permanent, and and directors too. I think that's the that's going to be the next thing I concentrate really hard on the next five years is how to. Uh, put young directors in a situation where they can actually sharpen their skills and develop their ability. Mm -hmm. Aren't new plays thrilling? It's sure. just thrilling yeah. that people are But there's a funny combination with young directors that I found out. Young directors with old actors, terrific. Uh -huh. Young directors, young with, directors yes. with young actors, really problematic. That's interesting. And it's, <laughs> when I look back on uh, my career, I think I was in my 20s and I did a play with Stockard Channing. And she, I started going, yuck, 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 you know, when you come in, you do this and all that. She looked at me and she said, sit down. <laughs> and I said, excuse me? And she yeah. said, sit down. And I said, all right, I'll sit down. <laughs> and I look at her like this, and she basically was talking to the other actors on stage, slowly but surely, just figuring out, what am I doing here? Who are these people, much less the young guy that's just nuts behind the, the table? <laughs> A week and a half later, she was ready to listen to me, and also I saw what she was actually building, so we were finally working together. Now, what she taught me was basically, shut up, which young directors, that's the thing, and only an older actor can really get that across, I think, to a young director. A young actor doesn't have the, the weight to serve, or the <laughs> knowledge I've, I've, I've to do that. I've had this, I this just wonderful. answer to your question, in addition to the fact that we're looking for a new theater, because we're bursting at the seams. Um, I had a fun experience last year because we're, our, our mission is to develop new work. Um, but as a kind of 25th anniversary birthday present, all my life I'd wanted to do this J.M. Barry play last year called Mary Rose. And everyone kept saying, but it's not a new play. And I finally said, 
well, it's my theater. Can't I just do it? <laughs> and I did it, and it was a glorious experience. And it was thrilling uh, uh, to work on an existing text, uh, director Tina Lano. And so I, I'd like to figure out a way to um, uh, not rewrite my mission, but really have that opportunity to ex explore works of dramatic literature that, that are meaningful to me without compromising, you know, my ability to, to serve young playwrights and new a writers. A play written in 1930, which hasn't been done, is a new play. Exactly. Sort of. Well, I, I mentioned some challenges like doing musical theater without depending on a commercial partnership. Uh, but some of it has been underway. I think um, my tastes are varied. And I think I perceive from my predecessors and just from experience that a theater above 14th Street has limitations. I remember going to see uh, hmm. Mac Wallman. They did a, uptown, a downtown uptown and MTC, and they revived some like, like Terminal Hip, one of my favorite plays ever, and, and did them in that context. And uh, I thought, wow, this is really, <laughs> really <laughs> difficult to do. <laughs> so when I like wanted to work with someone like David Greenspan, for example, who I think is a genius, um, you know, it, it probably took a while to select the right play, I think, to come up there. And to bring Adam Rapp in, you know, that was an adventure for, for some of the audience. So getting that kind of variety and exposing, you know, um, exposing our audience and getting them to embrace the, 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 the total spectrum of new work that's happening is a challenge, but an important one, I think. And with that, we're going to say we look forward to seeing everything that you do next. And thanks for being with us today. Thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at QDTV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. The American Theatre Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. We stand for excellence, and we support education in the theater. Best known for creating the Tony Award, our work reaches beyond Broadway and New York. These seminar programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are an unequaled form for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth interviews are heard on XM Satellite Radio. Our grant and scholarship programs support New York theater companies and theater students. And since we began, we have given away more than two and a half million dollars. Our theater intern group helps young people who are just starting in their careers build a professional network. And Springboard NYC is a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org.